So what's your podcast about? Superheroes. It's a little geeky, but I think you guys are going to like it. Try not to be too geeky. No, I can't promise that. Should we begin? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. And now, your hosts, Kelsey Dickerson, Brad Fay, Kate Fay, and Noah Berlin. Listen to me now. Welcome to Geek and You Shall Find, the podcast powered by Superhero Faces. We're going to get the spoiler spoiler alerts out of the way nice and early because we are going into House of the Dragon, episode three, the second of his name. I'm Kelsey Dickerson, your host today, joined by Brad Fay, Kate Fay, and Noah Berlin. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. Now, if you just can't get enough of Geek and You Shall Find, we have good news for you because you can follow us at Superhero Faces on Facebook and Twitter, as well as at Superhero underscore Faces on Instagram. And of course, you can watch us each week on YouTube, or you can follow along with our podcast on most of your favorite streaming services, including Spotify. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. You know, at first we thought this was going to be a special episode where we were just going to dive into House of the Dragon for the first episode, but it's got us hooked. So we are doing it each week or as many weeks as we can because we can't get enough Game of Thrones. And with that, I'm going to throw it to you, Noah. Can you please help us set the stage on where we're at in episode three? Sure. So House of the Dragon episode three, as you just said, was titled second of his name. And it took place at least three years after episode two. It opens with an already two-year-old Prince Aegon II, and now Queen Alicent is pregnant again with another royal child. But for this segment, I want to instead talk about another house that didn't appear during the events of Game of Thrones, but that features prominently both in this episode and in this series. So House of Valerion, they descend from old Valyria, just like the Targaryens, but instead of being a family of dragon lords, they excelled at the sea instead. The Valerions escaped the Doom of Valyria as well, but they actually arrived in Westeros before the Targaryens did, and they settled on Driftmark, which is a neighboring island to Dragonstone, right next door to Dragonstone. So after the Targaryens arrived with their dragons in Westeros, House Valerion was a major ally in Aegon's conquest of Westeros. The two families' close relationship continued as the Targaryens married many Valerions. A lot of marriage within these two family because of the desire to keep the Valerian blood pure. So which is a big thing with keeping pure blood. And they talk about it uh, in episode two when Corlys Valerion is telling the king, you should marry my daughter and, and you know join our two houses and keep that blood pure. It leads to the white hair that you see, the Valerians and the Targaryens both have the white hair, as well as some other, let's say, shared talents that we saw in this episode. I won't spoil that yet. So Corlys Valerion, he's known as the Sea Snake, which is a pretty badass nickname if you ask me. <laughs> uh, he sits the Driftwood throne as the Lord of the Tides and the Master of Driftmark, uh, Driftmark as well as being King Viserys's Master of Ships. And he is married to King Viserys's cousin Rhaenys, who's called the queen that never was. So far this season, we've seen the Triarchy threaten the Step Zones, which are the chain of islands that dot the southern edge of the Narrow Sea, just kind of between Westeros and Asos. House Valerion became the most wealthy house in the Seven Kingdoms because of their shipping business and because of being able to kind of control this whole area and all the shipping lands there. So when the Crab Feeder and the Triarchy have come in there and causing chaos over there, they've become a major a thorn in the side of the Sea Snake. 
So for now, House Valerion allies with Prince Damon. We saw that in the big battle uh, for the Stepstones there in episode three here today. Um, but when this larger civil war that the series is leading to finally arrives, I'm very interested to see what part this major house uh, has to play there and who they in fact ally with in the wars to come. Yeah, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. He has such a cool nickname, but not just one, too. Master of the Tides is actually a cool nickname as well. That's not even his main one. And we actually alluded to this in a few other podcasts or in the podcast leading up to this one as well about how important uh, the king's decision or lack of decision to support House Valeria is going to, or the Valerian House. Valerian. Valerian. Thank you very much. We went through that over before the podcast. And I still can't get it right. We'll get it right by, by I'm sure, season three. Um, well, you think so- that George R. R. Martin would uh, be a little <laughs> less confusing, but he is not. He loves doing yeah. names that are so similar. So it's not just you, Kelsey. <laughs> well, no, and maybe that's why it's taking him so long just for you so that he can continue to confuse you. But he knows that you speak Valyrian now. So you know, it's that, really hard. That maybe is it. He, he's not writing the damn books because he's thinking about all these names that he could come up with that sound exactly like other names <laughs> he's already come up with. Maybe that's it. <laughs> no, and we'll be touching on, um, uh, there was a lot of absolutely amazing scenes thanks to House Valyrian because uh, obviously the Stepstones played a huge role in this episode. But before we get to that, uh, Brad, I'm going to throw it to you. We like to crown the most valuable players each episode. Do you have one? Is there anyone that maybe uh, J.R.R. Noah has referred to? I have for this week specifically, uh, Allison as my MVP. Uh, I think her character just like, I, you know, she's just so interesting because she could go either way and it wouldn't shock me if she ends up being, you know, she's pure and genuine or she ends up, she's playing the game better than anybody and maybe we're just not reading into it. But she had a couple moments that I really thought were strong this episode. I really liked uh, her encouraging King Viserys to send aid and kind of doing it in that what's better for the realm, you know, put egos aside. Let's not worry about power plays like in the grand scheme of things what is better for more people and that's kind of what gives him the little you know push to send some troops um also only taken three years <laughs> yeah i mean yeah she, they could have that conversation a, a lot earlier maybe but you know <laughs> it, it, i just really enjoy her character too and at some point you know we, we're gonna talk about this but having like a weaker king who always seems to be worried about everyone else's thoughts and is always like what do you think about this do you think i did the right thing and he's always super worried it seems like she was the first person ever to be like well, what do you think what do you want to do like so whether she's doing that strategically because no one else is doing it and she's really, you know, trusting him a little bit more or she genuinely is like, stop worrying about what everyone else thinks and do what the hell you want to do. You're the king. So I just thought, you know, she really carried a few scenes in terms of, you know, but also not being afraid to play that power play either where, you know, when she comes out and the the singer's performing for an era, kind of being like, yo, your, your queen is telling you this, like, oh, okay, like, so she, they do a good job with that character of her seeming to go back and forth between, I, I don't know what angle she's playing, if she's even playing an angle also. That's what I have for my MVP this week. Yeah, they definitely grew her character more. It's like she definitely dropped that queen hammer uh, when it came down to it. So that is definitely a great insight into that. But I saw some pretty strong reactions from Kate and Noah when you said uh, Queen Allison was your MVP. Yeah, Kate, ahead, who Kate. was the MVP? Oh, sorry, say that again. No, I said, go ahead, Kate. 
I want to know what she has to say here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so my MVP for the week might be a little controversial, and I, I surprised even myself with this. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> my MVP is actually Damon. Um, dude is straight up crazy. He's crazy, but he really he gained my respect in this episode. His whole thing here is still kind of childish because he entered this whole war purely to spite spite his brother um, and make him mad and piss him off. Um, So I don't think he really truly cares about like these people and winning the war in these in the step zones. Um, But he really just wants to be the winner and prove like I can do this without your help. Um, and that was pretty clear when he got the letter from the king saying he was going to actually be sending help after three years or whatever. Um, he just lost it. <laughs> he went nuts uh, and decided to just go offer himself up um, and do a little um, surrender. Um, and I gotta, I gotta say that takes balls to put yourself out there and have a hundred people just like attacking you um and fighting the crab feeder which is the scariest looking dude I've ever seen so he gave my respect through that so I appreciate Damon in this episode and I think that he I think he in the beginning you're right he just wanted to get a rise out of his brother and kind of just piss him off and he's being childish but I think he also does have at least a little bit of political savvy and when uh, House Valerion comes to him, Corliss comes to him and is like, this is how you prove yourself. This is how the people that think your brother is weak and, and not taking any action, you can show them the merit that you have. And so I think at that moment, he was like, all right, like this is an opportunity. And for three years, he's losing. You see it with a, a near mutiny within uh, the, the ranks of the troops there. Everyone's basically sick of his shit. <laughs> and so he sees when, when he gets that letter and he's like, oh yeah, um, my brother wants to come in and save the day. Fuck that. He's like, I'm not going right. to be the loser. And then he's going to come in, we'll win. And then he'll get all the credit. And I just look like an idiot, not, not a chance. So it kind of spurred him to take action there. And then the rest is history. But yeah, I, I mean, it, regardless, it, it was a badass uh, move for him to do well i will say that i yeah, have a question for you guys about that do you guys think he looked at that as like a suicide mission where like yo if i'm gonna go out this is it i'm gonna go out like a badass or is his ego do you think he yes. expected to succeed like was that an ego thing of like yo i can yes. do this and live? i think it was okay so it wasn't like yo i'm willing just... to die for this right now no fuck I that think i think he just so wanted to prove to his brother like i'm fucking going out i'm doing this I don't even care if I die. Like, you will not send anybody to help me. Like, this is my thing. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna kill all these guys, and whatever will happen will happen. Well, I think he's. I think he's a privileged dude who he grew up in wealth and power. He's never had consequences for his actions. He's always had, you know, the most training, the most like whatever. It reminded me of when Jon Snow goes to the wall and he's beating everyone's ass and they're like, well, what do you expect? Like, these guys are all poor and whatever. Like you were trained by a master at arms. Right. And so he I think it is an ego thing where he just has never seen any consequences. He's never been really beaten at anything that he's tried to do. And so he's like, screw it. I'm going to go in. I'll save the day. And, And that's really what it was. So I'm like really torn here because I agree. I think it starts off like very childish and he literally takes the meaning of like, don't shoot the messenger 
to like you know what i mean he beats the <laughs> shit out of the messenger maybe kills him we don't the know messenger's ass yeah and he knows that he's losing even with a dragon because they just can't infiltrate the crab king or the crab man go literally being like a crab with his people and hiding in the rocks which is what crabs do which i think is actually very interesting um but he just goes i think he truly was surrendering because it when it's on the close-up on his face when he sees that people are coming and he sees the dragon being ridden I don't think he planned that. Like, so I don't think that was actually a part of like this big thing. I think he was just going in being a madman. And then the true, uh, the true strategic arms people who is house Valyrian, they were like, okay, this is our time because they needed some, they were actually talking about it before being like, Hey, we need someone to bait, yeah. literally bait the, the yeah. grab guy. And he just goes and does it because it's pushed him over the edge. So, I mean, who knows? Like, I think it could really go either way. And I Wait, think- really? You, hold on, Kelsey. So you think that that wasn't an overall plan with everyone? You think he just went off by himself and was like, screw it, I'm just going to go in there. And he just got lucky that everyone else happened to show up? It's I, It could go either way for me because yeah, the look on his face, like the really? look on his face is like, he doesn't like, when he sees everyone coming and he sees a dragon, like, it's not, he's like, yeah, he's like- yeah. he might have went in there like yo i'm gonna die doing this but i'll show them i'm a badass who got things done Hmm. and then i think he got bailed out like i think he went in there like yo i'm not gonna survive this but i'm gonna go out fighting like everyone's talking shit at least i'm gonna go down as like you know right now i have nothing to lose screw it and then he got like lucky or whatever you want to say based on timing of you know so that's why i'm I'm interested that's why i ask it'll be interesting to see like where it goes playing forward if he just got a second chance at life. Like he just thought like, um, this is basically a suicide mission. And now he's going to be a totally new person. Kind of like the Jon Snow example is like a really good example of like kind of being reborn and being like, yo, I've got to go into the depth and come back out again to be a different person. Hmm. Kate, what do you think about this? Because I disagree with them, but I'm just wondering what, what your, uh, your perception of this was. I can actually listening to both. I mean, I, I initially thought that this was a planned out thing um, that they had decided that this, this was the plan. He was going to be the bait. Then they would go back him up once all of the sand people were out. Um, <laughs> they're not sand people. I don't know. Like Star Wars, the, the Tusken Raiders. The <laughs> sand snakes. I don't know what to call it. Sand snakes. The, yeah. the crab feeder. Um, but I don't know. You guys make a good point. Like I could also see him just being like psycho and you know, that letter just like completely sent him off. And I could see him just like rowing his little robot out there. Like I'm so <laughs> freaking angry right now. Like I'm just going to go do this. Just like, it's just seemed like he completely went off the deep end with that letter. So I could see him like not having this planned out and just being like, I'm just going to go do this. Yeah. Hmm. To play off what you said, Noah, like I think, you know, you talk about Jon Snow going to the wall and being humbled. I think him overhearing guys talk about mutiny and this guy can't lead, getting the letter from it. He looked like he was humble enough where that might have been a suicide mission in his eyes. And he was like, well, screw it. I'm going to I'm going to go out like a rider. And, you know, that's what he was kind of I wouldn't be surprised if it was the other way. And he thought, yeah, I could I could pull this off and live. But the way they were talking about it, and they were like, yo, no one's going to be insane to volunteer to be the person to ride in there to their certain death. And him doing it was like, I'll show all of you. I don't know if he expected to get out of their life. Hmm. I just don't, I don't necessarily buy that it was a cause he was willing to die for. Like, that's why I don't think that he went in 
you with I don't no think plan. it was the cause he was willing to die for. I think he just wanted to prove that he was the, like, you know, right. was the best and was worth following. Like, not because he was like, I believe in this cause and the greater good, but just like, I'll show you guys that I'm a badass. Huh. Okay. And I'd cool. rather die than have my brother's yeah. help. I mean, to be honest with you, I like, I like this debate though. Like, this is cool. Cause I definitely see your side too. And I, I really want to rewatch it already just so I can kind of start seeing maybe some of these nonverbal cues, like some yeah. of the facial expressions, things like that, and see if may, maybe I do uh switch and, and get on your side. I don't know. We'll see. I have another uh, MVP that I wanted to mention. This one didn't get much time, but I have a feeling he's going to become a, a more important player in the uh, episodes to come. That'd be Lenor Valerian, and this would be the son of Corliss Valerian. And uh, this dude had two big moments in this episode. First, uh, Lionel Strong, who we talked about last episode. He is the master of laws and one of the uh, episode or one of the members of the small council. He was the one that went to bat for Lenor, and he counseled the king to marry Rhaenyra to Laenor Valerion and join the Valerion and Targaryen houses. And he goes, he's like, he's basically like, I want you to do this for the exact same reasons I told you last episode and you ignored that. So like, it's, I still stand by that, which is true. That is what he should have done. Uh, so that's number one. And then secondly, I mean, the battle, it, it, what's his name? Uh, Damon was a badass, but the battle wasn't in hand until the dragon came in. And I, at first I was like, hold on, is he riding... Caraxes, which is Damon's dragon. Like, how was he able to do that? But no, that is our third dragon that we've gotten to see so far in this series. That is Sea Smoke, which is a little bit smaller of a dragon. Um, but because of that, it's more of a, a stealth guy. And, and apparently in the books, a lot of the stories about uh, Sea Smoke, this dragon, is that he kind of is known for popping in, surprising people out of nowhere and just, Aww. you know, whooping ass. So that's what he did here. And that's what ultimately won this, this battle for them. Wow, I, I had not. That. I thought that was Damon's dragon, and yeah, he no. didn't do it because the dragon knew that Damon was in trouble. Like you know, they just inherently. I feel like they inherently have this connection with their. For sure. Writer. Yeah. No. I, I. That's again. That's the first thing I thought. But then I'm like, hold on. Damon's dragon has this freakishly long neck. He just looks super weird with that yeah. neck, and <laughs> he's red. red. And this one was like a dark gray type color. A red um, one does come through, though, right? I thought I saw a red. No, one. not no. not it. He so he's there only... early on. Early on, he's yeah. there, but not in this battle. Oh, okay, wait. Admit. Oh, sorry, just really quick. So when Corliss says before, like the reason that the Targaryens are able to really, you know, be conquerors of the realm is because they have dragons and because they're able to like conquer the dragons or whatever, like, you know, do that. They have dragons too? They're just smaller? Um, No, they don't, but... But they See, can this, write, how is, is like, sorry. So, so this is some, okay. So Targaryen bloods, like, so again, the Targaryens are dragon riders. It's in their family. It's in their blood. Mm -hmm. The Valyrians are not. However, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of kind of um, intermingling, I suppose, between these two families. And so if you have more of the bloodline. I mean, you. to be honest, I, and I don't know because the, the, um, the Valyrians are not supposed to be able to ride dragons, but obviously this guy Lanor Valerian has this bond with the dragon sea smoke that is his dragon and so I don't know if that's because of some you know maybe in in his, his in his line uh yeah, there's some Targaryens there exactly so I'm not exactly sure uh but I mean if you think about it hold on a second I'm, I'm realizing this Corliss's wife is Rhaenys Targaryen right. 
So yeah. if it's just through his mom, I guess that might explain yeah. why he's able to do that. So that does make more sense than I originally thought. So there you go. <laughs> okay. okay. I just, I just assumed when Corliss said, I think in either, I can't remember, I think it's the second episode that he says like, you know, the reason the Targaryens were able to take their throne is because they have dragons behind them, but clearly, oh, okay. So later down, in, but then where did he get the dragon? Okay. Whatever. I don't, I, I'm going to, I'm going to lay off this. Brad, what were you like they wouldn't have access to dragons except he married Rhaenys, who is a Targaryen. So then that's how he and has so now they have kids that are half Targaryen that I guess are able to write. Well, so why I mean, the hell wasn't he doing this dragon stuff before? Well, like, they why were. didn't they have two dragons going well, in? They, I, we didn't see it because I think the the um, directors, the producers of this episode wanted to have this dramatic reveal, but they did say earlier in the episode, and I was wondering what they were talking about. They said Let's just keep sending the dragons. They they mentioned that a couple times of sending the dragons, like multiple dra- dragons. And I was thinking, isn't it just daemons? Like I, I you know, I, I it didn't really like stick. I didn't remember that thought until then. We see this one, but obviously they did have it. Okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll admit only to you guys because you know it's it's just us in here. I had a really <laughs> space moment of stupidity. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, this is so embarrassing to admit. But when that dragon came in, and I, I knew right away it was a different dragon, but I thought it was King Viserys and was like, Yo, how crazy would that be with his broken ass fingers? Like he comes to himself to save the day. I'm like, this would be like a game changer. Like everyone would change if he does it himself. Cause we talked about, we don't know where his dragon is or if he has a dragon or if he's ridden a dragon since Valeria. I was like, yo, we could solve all of those questions like right now. And everyone would kind of change their viewpoints on him rolling in like that. And then I saw someone else on the dragon was like, of course it wasn't Viserys. Uh, I don't think that's a dumb thing. I just think yeah. you maybe had too high of an opinion yeah. of what, yeah. what he's capable of. Yeah. I was like, of course that guy's not riding the dragon, you fool. What were you thinking? Going back. So this kind of ties in. It uh, kind of goes back to it. Do you guys think that the message that the guy brought was actually from the king then? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We think so? they showed him like one. Yeah, they showed him writing it. it. Yeah, it was that same dude that he told like deliver a message for me. When yeah. is he right? When is he writing it? That he says I have a message. Deliver this to David. Ah, yeah. uh, okay, okay, okay. Because uh, I was gonna say that could have played into my theory more of hey we need a, a goat out here to be able to just be bait and then they make this oh. fake maybe they got a real message from him saying like hey fuck off i'm not gonna send yeah. you anything and then it ends up being like they redo it but i guess it's really hard i don't i didn't see if he undid the seal or anything like that um but that was actually a very beautiful conversation about our mvp so hopefully we have as much to say about our lvps but before that i just have to say the pug was my MVP so that wasn't that I was, love that little guy and I love that his owner gets completely bodied by Princess Rhaenyra too when she's like uh your uncle fucked everything up and your dad's a mess and you're a mess and I don't like you guys as her pug is just sitting in her lap and she's like what have you done for the realm besides just eating cakes and she just totally got slammed so I love that beautiful but Brad <laughs> we had a lot of MVPs right now and great cases for them and damon has clearly uh shown light and favor in caterate's eyes mm-hmm. but was there any lvps for you i saw i did see noah busting at the seams with all your guys's mvp so that was great self-control noah i'm proud of you uh, yeah yeah <laughs> i'm just gonna see who his lvp ends up being 
Um, I had for my LVP kind of sticking with the, you know, Allison uh, theme, I guess, is my LVP was the fact that we had this time jump between uh, three years passing for as we were constantly reminded throughout the episode because they don't think we would have figured it out on our own. There had to be numerous mentions too. He's two years old and already has a kingly presence. It's been three years and yeah, we, we get it. There's been a time jump. She's the kid is older. Again and she's like about to burst. That was like yeah. the worst pregnant, like fake pregnant belly, by the way. <laughs> That's an LVP for me while you're talking about this. So I, I, I could piece together that there's been a time jump. And for numerous, like, obviously I get why there had to be a time jump due to story reasons. And we really don't seem to have lost out a lot. Like Renera saying, I haven't talked to Damon for three years. So a lot obviously probably hasn't happened in the past three years, but I feel the LVP was the fact that we don't get to see the maturation of the relationship between Viserys and Alicent. I just think it would have been cool to see how their relationship, I mean, last we go is him saying, I'm going to name her my wife. And now we're three years ahead. So you know, I talked a little bit about the dynamics of their relationships. It seems at time there's genuine love between the two, but I think we're not privy to a lot of information right now to know how the last three years have played out, to know how much love they truly have for one another. So my LVP was kind of like not getting to see any of that development and literally jumping ahead to not only have they had one child, but now they're on their way to a second. So that was my LVP is not getting to see their relationship develop. I think that more than anything, it just shows you the impact of these stupid decisions that Viserys, the King Viserys has had in every episode and, and what that's done to alienate the people that he's the closest with between his brother and his daughter. And to me, I don't really mind it. I mean, I think that I think they have to be a little heavy handed with telling us about this time jump because that didn't ever happen in Game of Thrones. And when you're used to this, you're not used to seeing time move in in the manner that it does in this series and so they kind of maybe that's just a thing early on maybe it's just a season one thing where they really have to kind of spell it out for the viewers but it is different i but i don't necessarily mind it with that specifically yeah i mean you just see again the impact uh, of what he's done to this relationship where in in the first one he names her his heir and things are good in episode two you see how he doesn't or you see that, okay, sorry, go back. Episode one, you see once his wife dies, he doesn't even know how to talk to his daughter. Like they, it takes a while for them to even have a conversation. And you see just his bumbling, uh, you know, his attitude towards his daughter. He has no idea how to have a, have a conversation with her. And then he names her heir and things are good. And then he doesn't still take her really seriously. And he, he has her doing some other little minor things. And, you know, and she's still not really feeling worthy, if you will. And now she's just, you see where this relationship has gone, where she feels like she's just a a, a political pawn, basically, and, and she has no real value. And I don't know, I feel like I, I was fine seeing that. I know that I just said a lot of words for that. But, uh, I'm going to get a little light, more lighthearted LVP for my end. My LVP is Jason Lannister. The, re <laughs> the reason for that is because his name is Jason. <laughs> this is fun. They're, they're Viserys and Lainor and Lena and Kragas Drahar, Drahar. Like, Jason? Bro, George mailed it in on that one. What's his twin brother's <laughs> name? His brother's name was Tyland. So, I well, mean, you what think I, Jamie, like Jamie's a regular. I know, but I know, but for some reason, Jason just seems like a very modern name. It just yeah. is weird. I, I don't know. Like a uh, manager at Best Buy. 
<laughs> oh, you need your return is outside of the window of a normal return. You have to talk to Jason over there and customer service. Uh, <laughs> but so what I did think was cool though about that is um, it shows that twins run in in the family with Lannisters, which is cool. Oh, you know, obviously Jamie oh, and Cersei are twins. Yeah. Jason and Tywin are twins. Oh, that was pretty cool. But dude has a stupid name. And he was made to look stupid twice, first by Rhaenyra and then by King Viserys, both kind of, uh, you know, roasted him a little bit. So anyway, he was uh, my my real LVP there. That's funny. I hate that. <laughs> Jason from customer service. <laughs> Jason with his like stupid ass spear thing with like a big, huge little friendly thing. And then the king got so mad at him he's like all drunk and he's like what are you saying to me right now like he got yeah. so pissed at him i loved it he dunked on him like and to get dunked on by king viserys is oh yeah yeah but he's like he's like no i'm sorry it's not just me that's saying it everyone says like oh motherfucker everyone's saying it <laughs> he's like it is your duty to this report rebellion. and he's like ah, <laughs> he thought he was so cool when he was trying to court a 17 year old dude. He did. He did. <laughs> such a Jason thing to do. That is such a Jason. You got Jake from State Farm and Jason from uh from Lannisport. <laughs> Casterly Rock. Yep. Who do you got, Kate? Um, okay, so I had the crab feeder, uh, which no good one. You said his real name and I didn't write that down, but Kragas Drehar. Yeah, Kragas Drehar, yeah. Uh, but I'm going to continue to call him the crab feeder. Good. So when he was very first introduced at the end of the the first episode and then uh, shown again in the second one, I was kind of skeptical because I'm like, okay, you sick crabs on people? Like, I don't know. It just seems like kind of a weird MO, but okay, whatever. Like I'll give, I'll give this guy the benefit of the doubt because he looks scary as fuck. So he's probably going to... Um, do some crazy, crazy shit and kill people. Um, turns out he doesn't say one word, dies within three episodes and has like three minutes of screen time total um, and dies by getting cut in half by Damon. So I just really wish that they did a little bit more with him. Like, I think he could have been like a really crazy, scary villain. And they just kind of, like he was just there. He looked really scary. He and looked then, so gross. Yeah, and then it just was like, hard to look at him. The stringy hair, like, oh his, my god, the crackly. Yeah, ugh, yeah. I but I wonder though if his death or who he is is going to play. Like, obviously he's dead and he's cut in half. But I wonder if it's going to play because they actually introduced, like, they said his name in this episode, and then the guy in the beginning when he's talking to him, he says something about like you're going to pay for this, like, and says something about like his poor mother and bastard dad or something like that so I wonder if he's someone of note that it's going to play into and obviously he has followers so people are like into this guy even though well, he's, he, he's a prince from Mir so Mir is one okay. of the free cities in Asos and so they have the triarchy which is three different cities that all three different free cities that all come together to create this army whatever and he leads them okay. um but I mean look like that do you know I, I'm assuming it looked like he was burned and he wore, so he wore that mask and the mask looks so badass. It reminded yeah. me of a, um, like Sons of the Harpy, like half of a Sons of the Harpy yeah. mask, but it had the little like thing on top and he just looked so badass. I completely agree with you, Kate, because I mean, visually it was awesome. He was creepy. It was like a horror movie-esque, like the way he's just like, you know, tw a little twitchy and all that. <laughs> and for him to, I mean, it, it sucked that he died after three episodes, 
but it sucked more that he died off screen like that. I think yeah. that like that was my least yeah. favorite part of the episode where like he was just such a he was such a cool presence and he had no character development after that and just he gets dragged out half of I mean I don't know. I just really didn't like how he got killed off screen like that. Especially because they show Damon being such a badass, like yeah. out of nowhere, like we haven't seen him fight like this and it's showing his development. That would have been cool to see him in the caves and them going literally hand to hand crab feeder versus Damon. Like that would have actually been a really badass scene. Yeah, I, I'm I disappointed that I no longer in my own head get to make mankind, aka Mick Foley jokes Ooh. in my head every time I see him because that dude literally reminded me of mankind. Every the, the tick and the mask and seeing him from the back and the, his hair being all stringy. I don't dude, what if mankind. what if they showed him fighting with Damon and he put out a sock on his on his hand and started doing the, the mandible claw? His brother, dude, love is gonna come in next week and really kick ass. A hippie from across the narrow sea. <laughs> Shout out to all our WWE listeners. Yeah, no They're doubt. The only ones I know what that was. This means about. nothing to me. I wouldn't put it past the Rock though to like make an appearance in House of the Dragon because he's in uh, everything and he's gonna do like some big like. Do you smell what the dragon is cooking? We go from the crab feeder to the Scorpion King. Oh, that's very good. Thank you. Brad, you're on it tonight. This is a Thank good one. You're, you're crushing it right now. <laughs> Brad is in his element right now. It's like almost yep. midnight, and he's like, he's just waking up for the day. You guys. Game of Thrones WWE crossover. I mean, love it, love it. Brad is the crab feeder of, of being up late. Um, before we transition to best scene, an LVP that I have, and I don't want to dwell on it too long, but the scene of the heart dying, of the elk dying, mm. that was terrible, and just reminded me of canned hunting which is also terrible please look up the positive effects of tourism versus hunting and poaching um but that shit was terrible to watch i hated it and it was so drawn out and the noises uh, it was just the noises were tough awful the noises kill and torture all the humans i don't care (laughs) but do not kill animals please horrible i mean i told you i mean i think i've said this on a podcast before but if not I've literally cried on the way into work at 7 a.m. in the morning, the day after a dragon dies. So (laughs) it wasn't on the level for that with me. But to your guys' point, you guys had Viserys as one of our LVPs. um, Or did you? Or he was like kind of- He's always on the- Listen, he's always- Yeah, yeah. He's a continue. He's a continual LVP for us without it even being said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I guess that's important to show the fragility and the frailty of him. Um, you know, it's it's fast forwarded three years. I'm surprised he's only missing two fingers that we saw, not more. <laughs> um, he can he can't even get on and off the horse without steps. Like you know, he's getting drunk as fuck. So you know, it's just. <laughs> I think that was just a, an important scene to show that not only is Aegon not worthy of the white heart um which i think we're going to be touching on later too but you know maybe it goes to show that hey maybe i was right having uh, princess renera as my heir and like all these things but it was just a horrible scene for me i will say that king viserys was never more relatable than he's been in this episode because he just got hammered and made bad decisions yeah. and i'm like you know what this is a character i can relate to yeah and he's talking about like <laughs> my teenage daughter is such a pain in the ass and it's like my, i was watching with my dad and he was like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> 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 i was like okay <laughs> not talking about uk he was talking about your your sister for sure yeah, it's like i know yeah. know a little something about that <laughs> <laughs> no it's 
Noah's all happy about him drinking like a whole bottle of wine as like he's drinking his wine in his little house or Game of Thrones goblet. <laughs> Love it. Oh man. All right. Well, not to dwell on a horrible scene. Let's get right back into the positive with the best scenes um, that we thought for this week. We didn't think we were going to have a lot to talk about this episode, but it turns out we do. So let's start, let's start to you, Kate. What was a good scene for you? Let's erase all the, all the animal slaughter out of your mind. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't want to um, talk too much about it because it's, it's pretty much the same thing that I already talked about with Damon at the last, basically the last, like, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes of the episode, the battle on the beach where Damon just goes ham on all of these guys. Um, and then the, of course the dragon comes in, which is really, really cool. Cause you knew that was going to happen, but I'm just like, okay, when's the dragon coming? When's the dragon coming? Um, so that was cool. And then the crab feeder's death was a little disappointing as they talked about, but I mean, still, I guess, cool to see that they won the battle. So it was just a cool scene, like how they how they did it and how Damon was such a badass. It was. But you Am can't I the only one that would have got hype if Damon would have just zigzagged at one point and be like, yes, yes, someone Finally. knows to zigzag. They have that. Someone knows to zigzag. That's <laughs> all I was waiting for that whole scene. I was like, yo, they should just do a little nod and have him do a little cut or something. And we're like, thank you. People do know how to zigzag. Man, when I was watching that, all I could think about was Rickon and and the, all the the rain of arrows coming down. I'm like, I I he's really not going to get hit at all. He's just running straight at like, please zigzag. We've seen this already. I literally have that in my notes. I'm like, how the hell did he evade hundreds of arrows, but the Stark kid couldn't, and then couldn't evade four, and then he all of a sudden gets hit with three by three in like two seconds. So I was yeah. just like, come on, there was hundreds if not thousands of arrows coming down on that beach that was yeah. ridiculous <laughs> yeah. so, i know that we're in a fantastical world and this is all fake but come on and the, uh, anyways I, I couldn't get over that you know what's funny to me scene, just... and it's great to see damon yeah. actually kicking ass yeah were you saying and it was cool when he did get shot he's like tore him out like a beast i was like whoa where is this coming from like he just needed to get real pissed off i guess yeah yeah um so i i really liked the scene when the king was all hammered by that big bonfire and he was talking to alicent and it just showed kind of like the inner workings like what's going on in his mind and like what's it tearing him up about the decisions he makes and what did he make the right decision did he make the wrong decision he said quote what is the power of a dragon next to the power of prophecy because he talks about this dream he had about having a son who's going to be king and he's going to be a conqueror and you know, he had his wife who he loved and he only had the daughter. And, um, and so when his wife passed, he said, okay, maybe this dream is, is not real. This is not something that's going to really happen to me. And, and it really fractured the relationship with his daughter, Rhaenyra. And so he's trying to do the right thing. So he named her the heir. And now he's having all these second thoughts because now he has the son. He didn't expect to get remarried. He didn't expect to have a son. And now it's throwing his whole world kind of upside down with, with the decision-making that he's already done and just kind of showing that this guy is, I mean, I was a little sympathetic towards him, even though he's an idiot, uh, just because you see it's really messing with him. And, and he, yeah, he's making the wrong decisions, but like, I get it a little bit. I don't know, but I, I liked that scene between the two of them there at the bonfire. Yeah, that was a really cool scene. I like that one too. And especially just with like the big fire behind them, like yeah. that's their whole thing. Like yeah. that was really cool. 
I, I don't hate on him as much as you like he does some stuff that pisses me off but like he's been in some really tough spots you know this season you know I mean in this series so far like you know and it just shows like kind of the ambiguity of like it's not black and white like these are tough choices like everyone was on him to name an heir name an heir name an heir the last episode you at that point no you know in the first episode he no longer had the well we'll wait till i have a son he names his daughter the heir because everyone was on him the name and heir he didn't know you know after all these other circumstances now he has a son what's he supposed to do? like couldn't you make the argument he's not a person of his word if he takes this away from her and he gives it to his son like he kind of is in some no-win situations really it, it would the quote that i found funny about this too is when otto hightower was the hand of the king was talking to alicent and he's basically just trying to set, trying to tell her to tell the king, like, yo, you're making our son the, the heir. And he goes, the road ahead is uncertain, but the end is clear. You must guide Viserys to reason. He'll never find it on his own. He's <laughs> like, he's a fucking idiot. You got to just manipulate his ass. You got to just yeah. tell him. <laughs> I agree with you, Brad, too. He's in some tough, tough moments for, for sure. sure. For sure. And, and he does have moments where you're like, okay, I kind of like him. Like when he, yeah. you know, says he just wants his daughter to be happy and he's like, fine, like go pick your own husband. Yeah. After all this fighting, it's kind of like, oh, now you're kind of making me like you again. Um, yeah. We actually had um, a great comment on one of our YouTube videos when talking about Viserys. Um, someone said that Viserys is a good man, but he's not a good king. And so I think to your guys' point, we're really seeing like, you know, obviously it's really easy in a world like this. And especially when we see kings or people that have a lot of power or have a lot of respect, we almost put them on this pedestal that they're beyond human. And especially in this world, the Targaryens are almost godlike because of their um, ability to ride dragons and because of the power that they have. But seeing the human side of him and seeing him make mistakes, I think is obviously very relatable and something that we as people that maybe don't have that stature and never will, you always want the person in power to do the best thing, right? You always hope that they will. Your life and your your well-being is in their hands. Um, but it's interesting seeing all the power at play and like, you know, him even having these internal battles, not even just battles of what's right and what's wrong and, and all these things that's gonna happen. And I think we can all relate to that. We've all done stuff that maybe <laughs> we shouldn't have looking back on, but that's life. So it's definitely gonna be really interesting to see that all unfold. Yeah, you, def you definitely see how much of a need there is for PR, even in fantasy <laughs> medieval times of having people come in and clean up your messes. Uh, yeah, so uh, hey, Targaryens, if you guys need a PR, PR person, anything, I know somebody. I have your people reach out to my people. And speaking of people and my people <laughs> and our people, we are so very lucky because we have the Mr. Brad G. Fay with us for Director's Notes with Brad G. Fay. And if you guys are not familiar, if you are not loyal listeners yet, I'm sure you will be after this podcast, you can go ahead and check out Geek and You Shall Find the documentary, which really is what started all of this and why you are listening to us today. You can find it on Amazon Prime, um, as well as iTunes and a lot of other streaming services, including Plex for free. And without further ado, was there any insights that you had into episode three, the second of his name? I did have some insight. Um, there was actually a lot of like, you know, motifs kind of playing out throughout that, this episode. And, you know, I know you guys said a little bit earlier, you know, sometimes it, it might be a little bit, you know, heavy handed at times. I think we were talking about before the podcast, some of you guys said like sometimes the, the you know, the symbology is a little, you know, heavy handed. But for me, I just love this stuff. So I, I guess I give it more of a pass. But 
I wanted to kind of talk about the significance of the white heart or the stag uh, in this episode. And I wanted to start talking. Renera continues to play the game perfectly. I think she plays the game better than anyone we've seen. And I'm going to talk about how that kind of maybe ties into that scene where she lets the white heart kind of go. But, you know, again, she always comes out the clear cut winner in every situation. She started the episode. She doesn't want to get wed. She doesn't want to in arranged marriage. And come the end of the episode, she's not having to do that anymore. So how much of this is all manipulative? But say what you want about her. She's very good at getting her way. There was questions at the beginning of the episode, whether or not she's going to be the heir. Is that going to be taken away from her? She ends the episode getting another guarantee that she's going to be the heir and nothing has changed. So the reason I think that ties into the white heart is we see this theme in mythology, fairy tales, all kinds of fiction of kind of the, and it starts with Celtic mythology, which we talked about being a big influence for Game of Thrones. In Celtic mythology, white stags are kind of messengers between our world and like the other world or like a fantasy world. So that's why we see a lot like in Harry Potter, he has the, and sorry, I'm not a big Harry Potter person. So, but I know people on here are, so correct me, but his Patronus, is a stag and it kind of helps guide Harry at times like when he finds the he gets like the sword of Gryffindor is because he follows his dear light Patronus guy and that kind of helps him so 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 sorry yeah yeah so his dad's Patronus was a stag and so his Patronus in honor of his dad is also a stag his mom's Patronus was a doe and in honor of his mom Professor Snape, who was always in love with his mom, took on a doe as his Patronus too. And so he, to get the sword, um, Professor Snape was guiding him with the doe Patronus. Sorry, okay. back to you. No, no, no. So that was, yeah, I, I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I remembered like, you know, in the movies, Harry Potter kind of following this like Patronus to get like answers. And I'm like, okay, that's like, you know, a time on motif. Um, but I also think there were a kind of historical connection to that too in this episode because George R. R. Martin, obviously a big history buff who has talked about Richard II being a historical figure who had a lot of influences on King Joffrey. And I think we see kind of that here because there's a lot of that in real medieval time of symbols on the day you were born. And for Richard II, who we talked about being a big influence on George R. R. Martin, he was born on the Epiphany which is a big religious holiday, kind of comes right after Christmas. And he was born on this day, so was constantly being told by nobles and kings, oh, you have a connection to the divinity because you were born on this special day. So he grew up with like an extra air of importance of, oh, I'm godlike because I was born on this day. So wrapping this all together, I think what we see happen is the king kind of breathing a sigh of relief when he sees that they didn't get the white heart, that it's a brown stag instead and saying, okay, I no longer have to go with, oh, what a sign it is that it was a white stag that happened to be seen the day of my son's birthday. Now I have to appoint him as the heir. So I think he's kind of breathing a little bit of sigh of relief that this isn't some divine message that was sent from beyond. And I think that ties into the end of the episode when Renera sees a white stag and is like, let's not maybe kill him and show that there really was this white stag. Like, let's let him run off and kind of hope to never be seen again because we don't want this to be traced back that there really was a white stag on my brother's 
birthday and that maybe there is some other sign. So that's why I think, again, she's playing every move she makes is the right move in every situation. So I think it was the right call being like, yeah, let's let that stag kind of go do his thing. And, you know, again, wanted to just mention one more time, there are a couple of other mythological references to the stag. Uh, Princess Mononoke is very, uh, you know, an anime film that does the whole like follow the deer for spiritual insight and things like that. But the biggest mm -hmm. example I found was George R. R. Martin has said the biggest influence on him was The Accursed Kings, which is kind of a book based a little bit on the, you know, the idea of different, you know, the House Stark and House Lannister and all these families like at battle. But I guess in that book from my limited research does a lot about the deer being followed. And as George R. R. Martin said, that was the biggest influence on him. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that we see in Fire and Blood about deers and the idea of following deers being linked to divinity. That is definitely very interesting. And it just goes to show just how many, uh, how many influences that these authors and that even these showrunners pull from. So that's actually really great insight. I have to disagree with you why Princess Rhaenyra lets the stag go. I don't think it's because she didn't want it as a symbol for her brother. I think it's because she saw it as a symbol for herself. Mm -hmm. And she like connected with that um, in a way that is almost like why King Viserys is, is happy that he didn't see it because it's like, you know, it's it, since the Targaryens, it's, I mean, they've said this over and over again. That's something that's really bothered me in, in House of the Dragon is just how much they're just so heavy handed with this stuff. And they just really kind of spoon feed stuff to the audience, um, which we're not used to in Game of Thrones. Um, but with that, like, I think, you know, it's like a moment of clarity for both of them of being like, hey, like I'm the right flirt because Targa Targaryens are so into prophecies or so into symbols. And like, they, that's really been driven home. So I disagree with you on that. But I mean, I'm very happy that it wasn't killed. And that was my cringe moment. That was my cringe moment uh, of this episode. <laughs> I just, I thought it was so corny. I thought that's it was really funny. Cause corny. like, I agree. Like, that's a really, that's like really good insight to point out. Like maybe the whole point of her seeing the stag at the end was it was, you know, it's her that's really the destined one and all that stuff. So yeah, that's how I took it too. Less Me cringe well. for you if the deer would have whispered it's you would that have been like a little bit less cringy for you i then? think i would have preferred it to just go full bambi uh and just have like you know some singing skunks and you know little flowers and stuff and talking <laughs> animals i think that would have been great yeah actually <laughs> all right so does anyone have anything that we didn't quite talk about that you guys would like to get off your chest before we get into predictions and where we think we're going to go from here. I got a couple. Yeah. <laughs> Noah's been waiting. He's been, he's been biding his time. I love it. <laughs> this has nothing to do with Harry Potter. I promise you guys. <laughs> uh, so the first thing that I thought in basically this entire episode is when he's talking about this hunt and going to the Kingswood. And I'm like, Hmm, we've seen this before. And when the King is getting all hammered, I'm like, we have seen this before. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, uh, Viserys ended up unscathed, but it reminded me so much of Robert's hunting for the boar, which uh, ultimately gouged him and killed him. And then that kicks off really all the events of Game of Thrones. So that was interesting there. Um, second note, <laughs> Otto Hightower, um, 
proposes to the king for Rhaenyra to marry Aegon, which is messed up because A, it's her brother, and yeah. B, half brother, because half it's brother. a baby. It's oh, okay, it's a brother and it's two a baby. Two years so, old. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, come on. But they said they said at two years old he's old enough to be named an heir. Like that's the age. It's coming of age to be an heir. Sure. Okay. But it's her brother and, and he's two. So anyway, that was messed up. And then lastly, um, so the actor who plays Otto Hightower, his name is Reese Efans. I don't know how to pronounce that. Reese Efans. Reese's pieces, sure. Uh, he also <laughs> plays Kurt Connors, aka the lizard, in The Amazing Spider Man. He plays Xenophilius Lovegood in Harry Potter. So I lied. This is about Harry Potter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Couldn't stay away. Couldn't stay away. And then he also plays the kicker from The Replacements, the football movie with Keanu Reeves. So there oh you go. That's where you have seen this actor before. And those three kind of all either comedic or weird roles. And I just think he's awesome in this. So obviously that actor has a lot of range, which is just kind of funny to me. I would never have expected that to be the same person. So there you go. That's all I got. Oh, that is so funny about the replacements. Oh my God. Yeah. I had no idea that was him. Yeah. Well, it was definitely gaining a lot of notoriety, which I will, who pointed that out in the episode of Alicent being the young versions of that. Of that Alicent. was, that was me as well. Mr. Noah, all right, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get on the Twitter train with this before everyone else points that out because that was really a huge a huge popularity thing of everyone pointing that out. So, kudos to you being able to to put that here first. You guys yeah. heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. I had one scene that I, I that I wanted to give it's a very quick moment, but I love the opening scene when the uh, Valarian knight is talking his shit and he's like you know getting toward like yeah me too a little little bit like first he was like your mom's a whore and he's like oh oh, stop 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 and i'm like like, Like, either be the bad (laughs) but what i really liked in in his moment was you know when prince damon arrives and he's like hell yeah like the prince is here to help me and blah 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 and like I talked about I forget if it was the last episode or the episode before like I want to see more of like I know George R. R. Martin loves that real world tie-in of like yo when you've got dragons on your side like nothing else matters that gives you such a heads up in battle and it's you know kind of a parallel to you know aerial warfare during World War II like once people got planes involved like that was the end and you know we see that theme a lot of infantry and boots on the ground kind of being the first to get taken out so i just love that little nod to that when the you know he's like yeah the prince is here help me and blah blah and then he just gets stepped on it's just like a nice reminder of like these kings and commanders don't give a damn about you on the ground like they're living life up there so i just really like that moment i was like okay we're we're kind of back to dragons just not giving a damn about anybody (laughs) brad is like i love this game or i love the show as long as someone's getting squished all right there's no puppets someone better get squished i do believe that was the first time ever we saw death by Dragonfoot. i did think that right away i was like oh i don't know if we've ever seen anyone stepped on by a dragon before so i did note that as it happened first of its kind (laughs) any insights that you would like to get off your chest (laughs) okay The only thing that I had is um, there was a tweet going around before this that this episode was ranked 9.9 on IMDb. Out of 10. Out of 10. (laughs) Along with (laughs) like, which is basically ranked with um, Battle of the Bastards and Winds of Winter. And I I did not think 
but maybe that was a fake tweet but it was given to me beforehand so I was like really hype about this episode it it was not a 9.9 no no what is it right now do we know I don't know tomorrow we'll check it tomorrow We'll see tomorrow. Noah right, mentioned so that like showrunner. Noah said in his notes last week that that showrunner was leaving the show. Do you think maybe he dedicated his life to starting accounts and giving himself high ratings on specific Ooh. episodes? That's I love that. I love that call for him. If he did, was that his last? Was this his last episode? <laughs> he left no. the show. Well, he left the show, so maybe it was just to pursue his life as like a spam bot to leave positive reviews on things he did. That's a very realistic thing, Brad. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for bringing that to the table. <laughs> <laughs> he just has millions of things. I know I was I was wondering how it was ranked 9.9 before the show even came out. Um, so one last insight that I had before we um, see where we're going, or this actually kind of ties into uh, predictions and where we think things are going. So this is cheating a little bit, but I did watch after the episode and they're really talking about how this is, a, a, an episode that is really a rebirth, especially for the Targaryens that we're following. So for King Viserys, when he's really, you know, going back and forth on if he made the right decision. And I think he comes out feeling a lot better um, for Princess Rhaenyra, just feeling really lost and feeling like she's a pawn, like you guys said. And she's coming out being like, no, hell yeah, I'm going to gain the respect. And I really like that part too, where she comes back and she's covered in blood. And they're bringing yeah. the boar back. I think that gained a lot of respect because a few scenes before then they're talking about like, okay, but even if she is there, no one, no one's going to give a shit. No one's going to actually say that she's like, you know, the, the protector of the realm or like actually think that they can do anything and like have, she has any strength. So I think she's just really building these little pieces. Um, and then also for Damon, like he really, you know, he was one of our LVPs, especially in the first episode, and he's really proven himself. And I think he, this is really going to gain him a lot of respect, not just with viewers, but everyone who was there and in the realm. So definitely like a rebirth episode, which I think is going to have a lot of consequences, good and bad, um, following, but for you guys, where do you see this going? Is there anything, uh, we haven't seen, We've seen hints at incest. We've seen people want to do some incest, but not quite yet. And that is definitely still in my prediction book. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, based on the the scenes from the next kind of thing, it seems like everyone's coming back together. Damon's making his way back to King's Landing, and it leads to a kind of you know three people now that have a claim for being the successor and being the heir, and really kind of being a three way. A battle almost of Rhaenyra versus Damon versus the baby Aegon the second who who knows will be 21 when we come into <laughs> next episode maybe who knows um so just kind of seeing these factions and really fleshing out which house is who declares for who and really seeing the seeds planted for again the civil war that is obviously coming uh later on in the series just seeing kind of how this is starting to take place I don't have a prediction, but I do have a one to watch. I would keep my eyes on Noah has mentioned him a couple of times, Lionel Strong. Uh, I really think he's one of those characters. He's not getting like a ton of screen time, but he's definitely in the King's ear a lot. He's definitely making a lot of suggestions. We'll see how, you know, how close those hmm. come into fruition. But again, George R. R. Martin's a big history guy, and I really think he sees the value in his characters knowing history. I don't think it took away, you know, everyone could say what they want about Bran becoming king. And yeah, maybe that didn't play right out in the show, but I definitely think the reason he became king is because a good king knows history and knows real history and has that knowledge. And we see 
how much that helps Tyrion throughout the course of Game of Thrones is, yeah, he's not, you know, physically strong like Jamie, but he's smart and he knows history. So I kind of see like Lionel Strong kind of playing that role. And I definitely see him as second in line to become the hand if we have an unexpected death, which we know happens on Game of Thrones so far, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, good point. I wouldn't be surprised if some random character gets killed that we're like, oh, damn, I didn't see like Hightower getting like knocked out episode four or five. So I kind of got my eye on him to see what they do with his character. I'd be really interested in seeing. Mm-hmm. Cool. I agree with all that. I, I don't really have any specific predictions, but I'm just excited to see kind of what they do with Damon, like where his character goes. Um, just because he started out so questionable for us and definitely like kind of a villain character but like not really doing it very well and now we're like dang like he's kind of a badass so just seeing where he goes and then I just love watching Rhaenyra she's my favorite Mm -hmm. I just want everything good for her so Hmm. I'm sure I'm sure that'll come to fruition (laughs) This is probably not the show to watch. Yeah, Aegon the Aegon the Conqueror is definitely not gonna play into part of anything in her future. Um, but yeah, so in my heart of hearts, I obviously, you know, we see that King Viserys is telling Rhaenyra, which also might be a ploy too, because Queen Alicent is in his ear saying, like, you need to make this seem like it's her idea to get married off. So then that way maybe you can have Aegon as your heir and it's not gonna be as crazy. Um but in my heart of hearts, I really want her and Sir Kristen to get together. And I just, oh my God, yes. I'm so worried about him every episode. I think he's going to die. So I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. I hope not. But for all you hopeful romantics out there, don't you worry, we're going to be back with another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. And a special thank you to our international listeners. We see you guys. We yes. are appreciative of you guys. Um, every single person who's reached out to us about this podcast, every single listen, every single comment, every single share, we just appreciate you guys so much and are so glad that we can share our love of these fandoms with you. We couldn't do this without you. And with that, please make sure to tune in as we continue to follow along with House of the Dragon, as well as Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power in our next few episodes. Um, Like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you can stream us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, a lot of different streaming services. And of course, please make sure to follow us, comment, like, share, and we will see you right here next time for Geeking You Shall Find, the podcast. Bye.